Um, I want you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. And here's what we want to talk about tonight. We want to talk about what kind of church we're supposed to be, according to the book of Acts, according to the Bible. And one of the things you'll find out as you start reading the book of Acts is that we're not just a social gathering. We are not just a bunch of people that get together once in a while and you know, have a nice little Bible study. It's just, if you read through the book of Acts, you can title our, our job description, if you will, like this. We are the supernatural church. We got power that the world doesn't have. We've got insight the world doesn't have. We've got strength the world doesn't have. We've got a commission the world doesn't have. We are a supernatural church. And I think this is one of the reasons that there's so many problems in the world today is because the church slipped from being a supernatural church to just being a natural church, trying to please people who are natural, do natural things, to please natural people. And how many know you can do some pretty cool natural things and draw some natural people? I mean, let's face it. If you, if you, get, the, if you get the high-tech light show, you will draw some people. What that natural means, right? I'm nothing against lights. I'm just saying if, if, if we get, you know, a certain building or certain colored chairs or... I mean, we can do natural things and draw people here naturally. Like I said Sunday morning, you, you can draw a crowd by pouring kerosene all over you, lighting yourself on fire. People will come. They will watch you burn. And they, you'll die too. But, so I recommend you don't do that. But you can, do any, you can do things to draw a crowd today, and it doesn't mean that's church growth God's way. Right. Anybody can have a big church if you've got some business sense. You know, church is good business these days. I say that in a negative way because it shouldn't just be a good business. It should be the Father's work, and we shouldn't be doing things on our own. We should wait for the call and not just do things because we can. Right. And, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, that church is so anointed. Look how many people are going there. That is, that is no indication they are anointed or God even called them. Right. There are, you, can, you can start a church, not even be called, be out of the will of God, get zero rewards at the end of this life, and have thousands of people every week. Yep. Well, in Revelation 12, so here, here's some of the things I felt like we needed to discuss tonight on this Friday night because of the times we're living in. Really interesting times in the world right now, and it's creeping into the church. I want to talk a little bit about the supernatural church, and I want to talk about this, how... Satan knows his time is short. He has a window of opportunity to do some things against the church. And the sad thing about it is it's, it has to do with the midnight hour, you know, just before the Lord comes. And it's interesting, but a lot of believers are falling asleep at the midnight hour where Satan's about ready to launch his greatest attack. Now, how many know it doesn't matter what he does? As long as you're in the will of God, you are in a bubble of protection. Amen. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but God said it wouldn't come near you. Now, he didn't say that for everybody who's just born again. That's obvious. Look around. Read the stats, right? All kinds of born-again believers are going down like flies. Right. With this and with that, they're perishing like the world physically. Not, not spiritually, they're going to heaven. But, we don't, you know, it doesn't take much sense to realize just being a believer doesn't mean you're immune from the devil's attacks. 
And so in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, look at verse 10 through 12. Revelation 12, verses 10 through 12. John said, I heard a loud voice. See, there's, it's loud in heaven, so if you don't like it being loud, you might not want to go. <laughs> I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God night and day. Now, before you go to the next verse, this is worth saying here. Don't team up with the accuser. Right. Are you following me? Don't, don't team up with the accuser. If you see some things that are not right in the body of Christ, don't team up with the accuser and accuse your brother and sister. Team up with the Lord and cover a multitude of sins and help restore people. So I, I would never hook up with the devil. People do it. Christians do it all the time. If Peter could yield to the devil, you and I could yield to the devil. To think we couldn't is to be naive and to actually open the door for him to be able to do things. So the Bible says that he that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Now here's what it says, guys. He said that the accuser of the brethren has, is cast down which accused them before our God night and day. Now, next verse. They, the saints on the earth, overcame the devil. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So you've got to believe something about the blood. You've got to say something with your mouth if you want to overcome the devil. I didn't write it. He did, so you might as well line up. And it said, These people loved not their lives unto the death. That's talking about major Christian commitment there. I, I, I think of this scripture and I think, Wow. These guys were ready to just give their entire life for the Lord. Could we give up a little TV for them? Maybe not. I don't know. Next verse. It said, Now therefore rejoice you heavens and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. This is dealing with the days we're living in. The devil knows his time is short. He's known it for quite a while, actually. But he knows now he's at the end of all things. He's seen the prophecies come to pass. He's heard those prophecies. He's been around longer than we have. And he knows his time is short. Therefore, he's doing everything in his power to launch a vicious attack against Christians. You know, it's interesting, but the devil is not too concerned about attacking lost people or lukewarm believers. I mean, why would you want to attack them? They're exactly where he wants them. Not serving the Lord, right? Blowing their witness by, you know, saying they're Christians and living different ways. And I mean, why would the devil want to attack somebody who's already in a position of leading other people astray or heading to destruction themselves? Wouldn't you think he'd just leave those people alone until the end, then kapui, right? But the enemy, he, the enemy hates Christians and churches that are contending for the faith, not compromising, moving forward, more interested in pleasing God than pleasing people. And we need to know this because 2 Corinthians, I believe, 2.10, 2, I believe it is, says that we're not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. Why? Because if we're, if we're ignorant of his devices, they may get us. 
I remember one time Norval Hayes was talking about, uh, he preached in a meeting, and a lady came up to him after the meeting and said, Norval, Norval, what's wrong with my son? My son, my son, he's in jail. Laurel, what's wrong with my son? He said, well, calm down, lady, what's going on? And she said, well, we taught our son about Jesus all his life since he was a little child. We taught him about Jesus when he was one year old. We taught him about Jesus when he was two years old, three years old. We taught him about Jesus all his life. We taught him, and now he's in jail for doing some crime. And Norval, we don't know what's wrong. We taught our son about Jesus all his life. And the Lord quickened Norval Hayes and said, I have a question for you, lady. That's good. You taught, you taught your son about Jesus all his life. Did you ever teach him about the devil? Because the Bible talks about the devil, too. Did you ever teach him about how he's come to kill, steal, and destroy? Did you ever teach your son Bible scriptures about resist the devil and he will flee from you? He goes, no, no, but we taught him about Jesus all his life. He says, that's not enough. You also got to talk about what Jesus said we're supposed to talk about. And he talked about the devil, so we would talk about it to the degree we're supposed to. Not every day, not every sermon. He said, your son didn't know how to resist the devil. Your son didn't know there were forces arrayed against him. Your son didn't know the operations of the enemy. The Bible says we're not supposed to be ignorant of the devil's devices. How can you obey that scripture and never, and never study what the Bible says about the devil and demons? Well... Some of his operations and mode of operation against us, we have to understand some of those things or we'll be picked off and not even know that it's the enemy thinking it's some natural problem that other people go through, not realizing there's forces behind the scenes stirring this stuff up. And if we're ignorant, we're ignorant. And that's not a safe place to be. So, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And I want you to start reading in verse 1. Acts 2.1. I, as a pastor, and, you know, I'm not going to make you believe this. I'm not going to make you think, you know, you have to. But um, if the Lord tells you to, do it. Because then it's between you and Him, not you and me. But I'm seeing some things happen in the church in these last days that I don't know why it's not being more addressed. I, I, I have some understanding of some of that. Do you realize when the devil attacks... It's going to look like something okay. Right. Y'all realize the devil's not dumb. Right. His wisdom is corrupted, but he's not dumb. The Bible says that we're not supposed to marvel that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light at times. In other words, he impersonates good to bring you poison. He imperson or he'll use something good to bring you damnation. You understand that the devil's not going to come to you as the devil. He's going to come to you as God. He's going to come to you as, your, as good feelings. He's going to come to you as fake peace. You understand? Here's something real interesting you need to know. This is so important when it comes to being on fire for God or being a lukewarm Christian. Do you realize that feeling okay without being sold out to God is gross, bloody warfare, and you're losing. Now, I know, I know, you're trying to say, feeling okay, feeling, I feel all right, I feel okay. If you're feeling okay in a backslidden state, or in a worldly state, or in a, I, I know I'm not living for God like I need to, uh, yeah, I know I'm living with somebody I'm not married to, I know I'm getting drunk once in a while. If you're feeling okay about that, that feeling of okay is gross, bloody warfare and you're losing. 
spiritually speaking, feeling okay about being on a wrong road is called losing a battle, a serious battle. This is, the, this is how the enemy comes. He, he, he will actually even lighten pressure off of people if he can get them on the wrong road and that'll help keep them on the wrong road. I know it's an interesting thought, but why would you try to get somebody off a road that that somebody wants you on? Seems to me, just let them alone until the end. And then, right? Here's the thing. We're, we're safer under the protection of God than in a place where the devil just leaves us alone. You follow me? You're, you're way more safe in the presence, in the, in the protection of God with arrows coming at you from every direction that can't get through to you than you are in a zone where the devil's just not putting the pressure on you and God's protection can't cover you like it used to. I hope you understand that. Acts chapter 2, read this with me. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, who, who's here? Who's he talking to here? The beginning of the church. Right? We call it the early church, but it's not a different church. It's just in the early days, our church began and we're a part of it 2,000 years later. All right, so they're all in one accord. Say one accord. There's another reason the devil fights this one accord stuff because when we're in one accord, I'm telling you, things start happening that we've been praying for for years. In one place. Everybody say in one place. This, this shows you right here that staying home and watching church services is not the fullness of what God has for you. One place is very important. You know, one thing I found out about it, if you're staying at home and watching church service at home and never go to a church, you can't have hands laid on you. Right. And things can't be imparted. Healings, uh, diseases can't be cursed. And hand, and plus, another really powerful thing is if you're not in church, you can't add your faith with what's going on in that service to help other people get delivered and do your part as the body of Christ. I thank God for all these supplements. But supplements... How many would just like to live the rest of your life on multivitamins? Does that sound like a fun thing? No, you want those to stay in the supplement field and you want to keep eating full course meals. Am I correct? Anybody want to chew on multiple vitamins every day? The non-chewable kind. No, you want to eat a meal and add a supplement. Staying at home, watching some of these things on TV is a supplement. One accord in one place is scriptural. Call it old-fashioned. Call it whatever you want. It's the head of the church talking to us, and we need to take it serious. Next verse, please. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat on each of them. Keep going. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Keep going. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Keep going. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea 
Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, keep going, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and in parts of Libya around about Serene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Okay, keep going. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what does this mean? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and, Jeru Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Next verse. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Can we all agree that we're in the last days? Should we be expecting a major outpouring of the Spirit of God? You say, well, how are we going to know? You'll know. You think, Pastor, you think we're having an outpouring? If you have to ask, no, you're not. <laughs> okay? You'll know when this happens. And it said he's going to pour out his Spirit upon all flesh and your sons, young people, and daughters, young people. They're going to prophesy. They're going to speak and do things by the inspiration of God way beyond just human ability. Young men are going to see visions. Old men are going to dream dreams. And upon my servants and my handmaidens, yes, ladies can preach and prophesy and teach in church. Are you following me? And I'll pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. Keep going. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is interesting. Um, this is the beginning of the book of Acts. The Acts of the Holy Ghost through the church. Acts of the Apostles, that was actually an addition by man, the title. Luke didn't write this letter to Theophilus and say, my letter is entitled the Acts of the Apostles. The title Acts of the Apostles was added by the translators because that's what they thought they should title it. It wasn't inspired as Holy Scripture. What it should be called is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. Because you will find way more than apostles being used powerfully in miracles and signs and wonders. There were certain disciples that had visions of the Lord. They weren't even a five-fold ministry. Stephen was a table waiter. He did great miracles among the people. Philip, he did powerful things. These were not apostles. They were not pastors. They were people who worked in the church. They were faithful and God promoted them. And so it's really the acts of the Holy Ghost through the church. Which you should get really excited about because... When you think of Acts of the Apostles, you think, well, that's just for the Apostles. We'll read the book of Acts, and it's not just for the Apostles. All kinds of people were used, believers that we would call laity. Um, so I'm going to share something with you today, and I, just, I, don't, I want you to hear it properly, and I want you to you know, not take this in the wrong way. But... I was talking to Vicki Sharon. Actually, I was talking to a friend of ours from More Life Ministries and for a good while and a couple days ago. I had some questions I thought we'd talk. And then I talked with Vicki Sharon from Word of Life and she was sharing some things that she had taught and she had shared some things Willie George had taught and, um, and I heard some things George Pearson's had taught along these lines in Kenneth Copeland's ministry. And I, I just wanted some counsel. I wanted some 
fresh perspective on some of these things the Lord's been dealing with me about because I see, I see there's things happening in, in the church that it's almost like believers, they, they need some leaders who aren't afraid to talk about these things in fear they might leave and take their tithes and offerings with them. I feel like the Lord's really trying to find some pastors who will not care about that and just say what we're supposed to say. Because I know when I say some of these things, some people may not like it and they may, you know, say goodbye. But it comes down to this. I, I, I would rather please the Lord, go to bed at night knowing that He's pleased, than to have a bunch of people in the church pleased that I'm holding back and saying what I really believe the Spirit of God told me to say. So I just want to say a couple of things. So I was, I was talking to Vicki, and as we were talking yesterday, probably about an hour, at our house there, we were talking, and I asked her a question. I said, Vicki, I said, you just taught recently on, what was the title of her message? Do you remember? To drink or not to drink, I believe is what she entitled it. And, um, and I know George Pearson's, she highly recommended George Pearson's teaching, Kenneth Copeland's pastor in this area. And because I, as a pastor, you know, pastors, they, um, they see a lot more things than the people in the church because we deal, with, we deal with everybody in the church. And sometimes you don't fellowship with a few people in the church. And we have seen, we have seen terrible things happen in connection with excessive, excessive drinking. We've seen everything from adultery to domestic violence. All this is connected with alcohol consumption. We have seen um, early death because of alcohol consumption and excess in drinking. Um, we've seen uh, divorce, all connected with these things. Huh? Child abuse. And um, we, we've noticed for, for the last 30-some years being in the ministry, we've noticed that, and, and we're not like pointing the finger, but we've, we've observed some things that, that people who have alcohol in their home, usually, not all the time, they usually end up in adultery or divorce. Sure got quiet in here. Peter, you know, Peter talked about excessive drinking. He talked about excessive wine, actually, excessive any kind of alcohol. And he, uh, we'll go to that scripture in just a minute, but it's interesting what surrounds the phrase excessive wine. Very interesting. I'll tell you a few things. We'll read it and just say, uh, wild parties, immorality, lust, worshiping of false idols, orgies. It's all in the same verse with excessive wine. And sometimes, you know, I was listening to a testimony of a lady that had gotten a divorce and she... Um, she, de she decided, you know, I, I got a divorce, I'm stressed out, I'm going to go ahead and take my wine every night and take a glass here and there. She said after a while, she had no idea how she got there, but she realized, I got a drinking problem. Freaked her out. She said, I don't even know how I got here. I have no idea how I got here. And it, it freaked her out so much that she just decided to quit and to put it away. But a lot of people turn to the world's way of relaxation when they have something way, way better at their disposal. Now, personally, I understand why worldly people drink alcohol. You're going to need something to help you out in this crazy, sin-filled world. And thank God, you know, 
that there's medications and things to help people in the natural. But did you know, as believers, we got the real thing. We got the best thing. And so I was thinking about, I was talking to Vicki, and I was, and I was hearing her talk about a few things, and she mentioned this verse here, how in the last days God's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And right as she was talking, I'm not saying I had an open vision, okay? There's three types of visions, right? There's an open vision where it's like you're seeing a 3D screen right in front of you. And you're seeing in the realm of the Spirit. You don't even see the wall. It's like your eyes are wide open. That's the highest type of vision. And then there's, then there's other visions where you see things um, on the inside or, or night visions. And there's, there's, Brother Hagen talks about these three types of visions because he had them all. I had kind of an inner vision. I saw this. And this doesn't happen all the time. I know you can make things up in your mind, but... I saw on the inside of me, the young people especially, but the church today over here, in Acts chapter 2, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh over here, the Spirit of God, about ready to burst out on the earth. I saw this, I saw the church, and the Spirit of God, and the church, and this outpouring, and the church, and this outpouring, and all of a sudden this hairy arm comes up with a bottle of wine in it, between them both. Y'all realize the devil's not going to use something terribly sinful. Right. That's right. He's got to use something that's okay, I think. Mm. He's not going to hold up a pentagram between the church and the... Right? He's not going to hold up a, a machete. He, I, I just saw this in my spirit that the people were over here wanting something. They knew the times were interesting. We knew we're at the end. And, and the spirit, and we know it's some stress in these times. We know there's some, there's some crazy things going on. And, and, and we want the move of God. And we want freedom from stress. And I saw the move of God here about ready to happen. And I saw this scrawny demon arm come up with a bottle of wine in it between the people and the move of God so the people would see the wine before they see the move of God. And he's hoping that they will grab that Turn that way and miss the outpouring. Yeah. You got to watch out about things that are okay that the Lord does not want you involved with. We all know to stay away from the sin. Got that, right? But the Bible doesn't just talk about sin. It talks about weights. Do you ever wonder, okay, God puts this awesome tree in the Garden of Eden, right? It said it's a very good tree, one to be desired. Knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord said, don't even, don't even eat of that one. Interesting that the Lord would make something good and tell you not to partake of it. <laughs> would the Lord ever make something good and tell you not to partake of it? It's not a trick question, I just answered it. <laughs> yeah, he could. He could. But anyway, I, I thought this, this is not the only thing in the church that needs addressed. But as I talked to Vicki and as I talked to um, uh, somebody from More Life Ministries and as we talked about Willie George, I got to realizing the people, the people that I'm called to be under and that I know I'm called to follow and I'd be in disobedience if I wasn't connected with them in this area, every one of them, every one of them, every single one of them, don't drink. And I thought, who, what kind of journey do I want and what kind of destination do I want to end up in? Because it has a lot to do with who I'm hooked with and who I'm following. Right. Right. And, and it's almost like you get beyond right and wrong. You get into, because there's, 
there's a lot of things that are okay that I'm called not to do. And I, I, you understand, if the Lord says, I don't want you partaking of that, guess what? <clears throat> it may not even be sin. The Bible says we're supposed to be aware of weights and sins. Weights, weights isn't sin. Or he would have said sins and sins. He said weights and sins. I remember one time, <clears throat> and to this day I can say, praise God. I haven't, uh, I disobeyed the Lord. But many years ago, I don't know, gosh, 25, 30 years ago, I got my hands on a sparkling apple juice, carbonated apple juice, clear bottle, looked just like a Miller beer, exactly like. Now let me ask you a question, is sparkling apple juice a sin to drink? No. No? I don't see anywhere in the Bible you can't drink apple juice. I would take a drink of it. And I would go like this, and it would foam up, just like a beer. And it's a clear bottle, just like a Miller beer. And I have my hand on the label that says sparkling apple juice, and I'm drinking. And one day, I heard, not audibly, but the Spirit of God says, Son, I don't want you to drink any more sparkling apple juices ever again. They look too much like a Miller beer. And what I've called you to, this could cause somebody some problems who sees you drinking what they think is a Miller beer. I said, but Lord, it's not wrong. He said, I know, but will you do it for me? Yeah. I said, Lord, as long as the earth stands, I will drink no more sparkling apple juices. <laughs> but is that wrong? No. No. You know what Paul said? Paul said, I won't even, I'll stop eating flesh all my life. I mean, he knew he wouldn't have to. He said, I'll stop eating meat all my life if I have to, if it would cause a brother to stumble. Right who doesn't understand some of the things or gotten the revelation I have. He said, as long as it, he actually said, he said, if you do things that you know could offend a brother or a sister in Christ, he said, he said, you wound their weak conscience and you sin against Christ. Interesting. And he was talking a lot about meat offered to idols. But at the same time, he just, he just encompassed the whole thing and said, really, if, if, if anybody ever had a problem with me eating meat, I'll be a vegetarian the rest of my life. That was his commitment. He didn't have to do that because not everybody was offended at that, just some people as they were growing. And, but I thought, that's interesting. So I got to thinking about this. When I saw that arm go up between the people of God, especially the young people, and the great move of God, I thought, no, you don't, devil. No, you don't. Mm -mm. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. You're not going to get our people turned away by this world's intoxication. We have all we need in our salvation. Turn with me to um, Acts chapter 6. You guys okay? Can I say this about the drinking issue? I want you to think, think about this for a second. I was praying about this and studying, and like I said, seeking advice from others, because I don't want people to think that I think it's a sin to drink a, a, gl a glass of wine moderately. But I do know this from my study of scriptures. I do know this. I personally don't, choose not to, and can't because of the position I'm in. Um, but also, here's what I'd like to say to people. Drinking wine is okay, maybe, if... If you don't get drunk. 
right. or in, even impair your judgment. And who knows when that is? How do you know when you're excessive? This is another reason I just stay away from it because I don't want to have to divide all those lines. I can live without the junk. I got the Holy Ghost. I got the Holy Ghost. And if I'm not having fun without this natural thing, I'm not where I should be in my spirit-filled living. But I, then I got to think, well, Lord, you know, because I'm, I'm a man. I mean, I was thinking, you know, <laughs> what would it be like if I stood up here and said, you guys, let's all come to church next Sunday with a bottle of wine. I'll have mine. You have yours. We'll drink while I'm preaching. <laughs> think that would be all right? Why? If it's OK in a restaurant, why isn't it OK here? Does God not see us in restaurants or? Are we, are we afraid something else might... If it's not okay here, if it's not okay here, why is it okay over there? Why is it okay there? They see there's still something there. If it's not okay here, then why is it okay there? Just because church ended doesn't mean Christianity ended and took a pause. See, there's reasons. There's reasons. And, and we've, we've dealt with this a lot. I mean, it's a sad situation. When I mean, I know and understand why some people are maybe a little too strong against this. Because they've had to deal with very tragic situations connected to this. And I, I, asked, I said, you know, Lord, I don't know if it's right or wrong. I said, I, said, I see scriptures that say this. I, I, there's a scripture that says, you know, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. They that are deceived thereby are not wise. And then there's another scripture that says, you know, um, Drink a little, uh, use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and then often infirmities. See, and you can, 50% says, you know, it's of the devil. And 50% says, it's not of the devil. It's okay. So what are you going to do? Here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to pray and see what your Lord wants you to do with this. Right. And, not, and I feel like I have to personally watch myself because I've seen so many people hurt by this divorces, adultery, domestic violence, early deaths. I've seen people I've seen people really hurt by this and none of it started out with a bottle of tequila. It started out with a six pack of 3-2 beer. 10 years later, it was a bottle of tequila and dead in a hotel room. Yeah. But I I asked my I said, "Lord, I just I just want to follow and be like those you've called me to follow and be like. I don't care. I'm not going to condemn people for doing anything. But if you can, number one, if you can drink wine and not get drunk, and number two, if you can drink wine or beer or whatever and it not offend another brother and a sister in the Lord, which Paul interpreted as sinning against Christ, or if you can drink and still stay 100% on fire for God, and cast the devil out of somebody five minutes after you had three glasses of wine? Have fun. No problem. But you're going to have to, you have to at least ask yourself the scriptural questions about this. Vicki shared something with me that really disturbed me. Oh. You know, just because we can handle it doesn't mean everybody who knows we do it can handle it. And I... Um, I personally, I, I, and we're going to answer some of these things too on, on an Ask the Pastor coming up in some specific areas, but, um, you know, sometimes you're, you think, well, it all comes back to this. Well, Jesus made water wine. 
What do you do with that? Praise God, it was a miracle. But let's be more caught up with the miracles that our generation needs than the wine that he turned water into wine. And you'd have to add the scripture to say that it had the same alcohol content of wine today. I, I looked at this on the internet. There's some, alcohol, there's some alcoholic wine with 1% alcohol. They call it non-alcoholic. Anything over 1%, they start calling alcoholic fermented wine. In Isaiah 65.8, is it real interesting? The Bible says in Isaiah 65.8, God said the wine is in the cluster. <coughs> well, how many know there is zero alcohol content in a cluster of grapes? But God said the wine is in the cluster. And you know, Jesus turned water into wine, and we have no idea if it was 1% fermented or non-fermented. He, he turned water into wine for unsaved, unregenerate people who weren't filled with the Spirit. And Luke says, our wine is a better wine, and it's a new wine, and it's the Holy Ghost. So here, here's what I thought. I thought about this. I said, you know what? The issue is really not wine or no wine. The issue is, are you filled with the Spirit? Because like I said at the beginning, everything looks different when you're filled with the Spirit. Your cravings are different. Your needs are different. Your wants are different. And I, I do believe the Lord's helped us at times to create medicines and things out of the herbs of the earth and all that for people in certain situations who are not going to turn to the Lord. He loves them so much. He's even given them some natural things in certain... Actually, one scripture in the Old Testament says, Give wine to him who has of a heavy heart and strong drink to him that's about to die. Well, that would be like, you know, medication for the sadness, and morphine for the one that's about out of here. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But that's, that's for people who choose to go that route. And praise God there's something for people who choose to go that route. But I'm going to say it. There is something better. I should probably say it this way. There is someone better. I was... Um, I was thinking that I was actually, I'm not on Facebook a lot, but I, something popped up on my Facebook the other day and it said events. And so I thought, what's that, an event here in town? And it was a, a wine tasting festival tomorrow in Palisades. Sold out! 50 bucks a ticket, 210 for VIP seating. And you can come, they'll give you a glass free of charge if you pay your admission, they're sold out. So don't you get any ideas being there on a Sunday? I'll tell God on you. And uh, they said, come drink all the wine you want. And I was thinking about it, I was saying, okay, we're going to have a wine fest packed out on a Sunday morning while churches have empty seats in them everywhere. And I was thinking, what is wrong with this picture? <laughs> we do. We, we have the new wine. And what we really need to be doing is letting people know, instead of trying to take a bottle of wine out of their hand, let's give them a better wine. And they'll just go with the old bottle and say, I'll take the new.
So in the Lord said, son, it's not a wine issue. Don't, don't preach against wine and, and don't, don't tell people it's a sin because I'm not going to say it's a sin. Getting drunk is a sin. Causing other people to stumble is a sin. Right? If it takes you away from being on fire from God, that could become a sin. Right? We all know that. But drinking wine, I'm not going to stand up here and say it's a sin. We say, well, Jesus drank wine. I looked the scriptures over thoroughly. I could not see one place. You'd have to, you'd have to add some imagination to say that Jesus drank fermented wine. You'd have to. I've done people, but I heard somebody say, well, Jesus drank wine. I, first thing I thought of, I thought, where's that in scripture? Where's that in scripture? Where's that in scripture? And I did a research. Him turning water to wine for a bunch of unsaved people does not mean he sat there and partook of it with them. And it doesn't mean it had high alcohol content either. And it wasn't, it, remember the guy said, you saved the best wine till last. Some people think, well, that, that shows you right there, it was alcoholic. Listen, if more alcohol is better, just go to vodka. Yeah. Come on, if, if more alcohol is what makes it better, just drink straight shots of vodka. That's got 37 to 40% alcohol. 37 to 40%. No, and as a matter of fact, if it, if it was the alcohol the governor was talking about that, was, that was so, made the wine so good, he wouldn't know that for at least 5-10 minutes till it got into his system. He said it was good because of the way it tasted. Right. You know, at the Last Supper, Jesus never said the word wine. He said, fruit of the vine. He could have said wine. There is a Greek word for wine. There is a Hebrew word for wine. He could have said wine. He said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine with you till I meet you in heaven. Interesting. I did find, you know, when Jesus, he, he was, you know, he was, he was having dinner with people that the religious people thought was crazy. Sinners, tax collectors. And some of them were eating and, and some of them were drinking wine. And they just assumed Jesus was. You know, Jesus was lied about just like a lot of people are lied about today. And Jesus said, John came neither eating meat nor drinking wine. And they say he has a devil. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber. Now listen very closely. He said, they say, behold, a gluttonous man. Was Jesus a glutton? Absolutely not. They said he was. He never said he was. They said he was. And they said he's a wine-bibber. Well, just like he wasn't a drunk and he wasn't a wine-bibber. But, so I do all this research, and then I see in Mark 15, as we were reading our chapter a few weeks ago, they offered Jesus wine, just a flat out offered him wine. And the scripture says, quote, he refused it. And I, I, I'll say that all to say this, that some people are now basing their breweries in church. I'm not... I'm not saying this wrong. They're basing, they're serving beer and wine in church on the, on the speculation that while well, Jesus drank wine, better be sure about that. 
because you could end up leading a lot of people astray into areas of things they can't handle. As Christians, we have a higher standard than the normal person out there. Right? We're supposed to be leading people on a safe road. We're supposed to be leading people on a road that we know is protected and has the full blessing of God and is a hundred miles away from anything that might end up in a disaster. Right? We should be leading people not close to things that could be wrong. We should be leading people away from things that can cause damage. Here's, here's a scripture people need to realize too. The Bible didn't say flee evil. It said flee the very appearance of evil. See, he's saying right there, stay 100 miles away from it. Well, it being known that I drink alcohol, you know, it has to see me. If I do, it's going to get out. Just, for me as a pastor, if it ever be known that pastor drinks alcohol, people will think different about me. Yes. Come on, look, I mean, would you, what, what would you think if you saw me out in public with a Budweiser? <laughs> Next time you want devil cast out of you and hands laid on, you'd probably have second thoughts. I might need to find somebody else. I mean, it would, it would do something to me if I saw Keith Moore drinking a beer. Yeah. Something would happen. I'm not saying I would judge him. I just something would happen in me to where I would not look at him the same way. Mm. <laughs> Are you guys okay with this? Did I, did I say drinking wine is a sin? No, I didn't. But it gets close to things that can be very hurtful and destructive. And I, I love the people I'm with. I love the people I'm following. And I, um, I want their journey. I want their destination. So I'm going to take some of the things they do and don't do very, very seriously. And some things I don't even need a ton of scriptures for. If the Holy Ghost says stop it. I mean, I don't need a scripture that says stop drinking sparkling apple juices that look like a Miller beer. I don't need that. You don't need, you don't need to see a scripture on what toothpaste not to get, do you? Why do you get the kind of toothpaste you get and not a different kind? Did you find a scripture that says you're supposed to get that kind? No. No. Some things, it's not a matter of right and wrong. Some things are a matter of just being led. Right. So, I, um, and, you know, we've, we've talked to pastors, and we've even seen things in our church. We've been pastors for 35 years. No, no, 31 years. Been married 34 years. And it's, it's just a situation that's kind of interesting right now in the church. But we believe the Lord's helping us. You know, you know, I want to say this right in the same breath. You know who I want coming to this church? I want wine drinkers, beer drinkers, hard liquor drinkers, homosexuals, lesbians, lesbians. I, I, want, I want prostitutes in this church. I want, you know why? Because I believe that the work God's doing in this church is going to get them to the place where they're going to want to do certain things that we're not even going to have to preach at them to do. I have enough faith in this church, in the Lord in this church, and all of us in this church 
to when people come, we're not going to have to scold them. We're not going to have to preach against stuff. They're going to see our lives. They're going to see our love. They're going to see our prosperity. They're going to see our peace. And they're just going to start realizing, well, they don't do this and they do do that. And if I want what they got, I'm going to follow them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you realize that Pastor John is, is taking a little bit of a risk here tonight? Because I, I know, I know, I know you could leave this church tonight and find another church in town that will, where pastors drink, leadership drinks, they have wine festivals, martinis, and margaritas during praise rehearsals. You, you can go to that church. But, he, and this, this to me is interesting, but see, I got to preach it anyway. This is so interesting because sometimes you'll hear this, and I've even heard it in our church. Pastor makes too big of a deal on drinking wine. Well, if it's not that big a deal, why don't you stop if you're helping the kids in children's church because that's the requirement. If it's not that big a deal, wouldn't you stop it for the lambs? Wouldn't you at least stop it for the little lambs? If it's not a big deal, then why, why not just stop it if that's what the helps manual says? And not, you know, we don't have this as a rule for everybody in the church. I mean, we can't control everybody and we don't want to control everybody. There are certain departments in the church that it is, it is, it's a rule that we believe the Lord told us to set. Because of the stumbling area of others, because of what it could lead to, the, uh, there's just, you know, you go to work at Taco Bell, man, there's some things you got to wear that you don't want to wear. And if you want to work there, that's what you got to do. And they don't even need a major explanation about it. They just say, this is it. If you want to work here, fine. If not, we love you. I'm sure there's other places in town you can work. But, but again, I want to say that we're not saying, this is primarily between a person and the Lord. But I believe the Lord spoke this to me. He said, son, the big issue is not wine. The big issue is being filled with the Spirit. Right. I actually, and I'm, I'm going to, say this I there, there's some that we've talked to about this that they're very adamant about their wine and their drinking almost to the point where if we don't believe like they believe about it there's something wrong with us if you if you don't accept wine like we've accepted wine, you're religious and there's something wrong with you. I sensed, this may sound crazy, but I sensed the same spirit in homosexuals who say, if you don't accept us, you hate us. Same, actually it's probably a cousin demon. It's probably the, the cousin of the demon Friend, that is absolutely wrong to try to make me say what you're doing is okay because you have so much doubt in you, you'll always have some doubt unless I believe like you. That's a good word. That's a good word. You need me believing with you because you know in your heart it's not right and you're always going to have some doubt if I don't believe like you believe. Huh? When you do, they'll need someone else. That's right. Why is it so important to you that I believe like you? Why? 
Why is it so important for you that I believe like you believe? Because there's some doubt in you and you'll still have that doubt until you get everybody else believing like you. Because you know in your heart. <laughs> but I say what I would tell people is I would say you just need to talk to your Lord about this and your position in the body and, and what he wants there's a few things in the church that have to be in place you understand that but um, th this is really between a person and the Lord and the main issue is are you filled with the Spirit? Because a lot of the stuff I'm talking about right now, I wouldn't even be talking about if we're all living a Spirit-filled life. Mm. <laughs> you know, some people get Spirit-filled two times a year. Once when Mark Hankins comes, <laughs> and once when we have a wild meeting on Sunday morning. No, that needs to be a Spirit-filled life. We need to live a Spirit-filled life. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you look at one more scripture and we'll close? Acts chapter 6. Acts 6. We'll look at this one and I'll quote you another one. In Ephesians 5.18, out of the J.B. Phillips translation, and we'll go to Acts 6 here in a second, but Acts, uh, Ephesians 5.18, J.B. Phillips says, Believers, don't get your stimulus from wine, for there's always the danger of excessive drinking. But let the Holy Spirit fill you. Express your joy in singing among yourselves, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in your hearts for the, for the ears of God. Thank God at all times for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and fit it with each other because of your common reverence for Christ. So, Acts 6. Acts chapter 6. You guys all okay with that? You don't have to agree with everything I said. Just, just know that we love you and We'll all work this out one way or the other. And I was thinking, I was thinking, so what, what would happen if Carl and I just started drinking wine tonight? That'd be really interesting. We, um, I, the last drink I had, I can't even remember how long ago it was, I was, uh, I was unsaved and I don't, I don't know, it must have been, it was before we got married. And we got married in 1984, 83, 82. Probably 1981 was the last time I had any kind of alcoholic beverage. And the interesting thing about it is I used to crave it. I wasn't happy unless I had pot. Stupid name, but unless I had pot and some alcohol. I was like, I was like, I, I was like, not happy, I was like, on edge, like, but boy, when I knew I could have some beer and I could have some pot, I got happy. Anything that controls your mood yes. is an idol. Yes. And, um, and what's so interesting is that when I got saved and filled with the Spirit of God, 
I didn't, how do I put it? Let me put it this way. Ever since I got saved, I have drank all the alcohol I've wanted to drink. Right. And I've smoked all the pot I've wanted to smoke. How much, Pastor? Zero. Haven't wanted it anymore. Right. Haven't wanted it anymore. Now, you know, there's other areas you might have to, you know, overcome, but this was an area for me that I, it was like, I just didn't want it anymore. I, I, knew, I knew that that part of my life had to be over if I wanted everything the Lord had for me. I knew it. And I didn't want to get, get down there with a razor blade, you know, okay, so what does it mean not to offend a brother? And, and how do I draw the line here? And how do I know if, if it's two glasses of wine or two and a half or three? If I cross the line, is that excessive? Is it impairing my judgment? I just said, you know what? I don't want to get a razor blade out and cut all this stuff. I'm just not going to drink it. I don't have time to be dividing everything up here. Well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. So. Acts. Let's, let's end. We're good. We're good. It's 8.30. We got the youth going on a trip tomorrow and I want them to get plenty of rest tonight and our youth leaders to get rest too. So let's just stand up, church. Thank you, Lord. I, got, I want to make this clear because I, I tell you what, guys, I, I preach things like this and two days later somebody said, so-and-so said this and they got mad at what you said because they... I said, I didn't say that. So let me say it again. You ready? Pastor is not saying that you're unspiritual. You're a sinner. Drinking wine is a sin. I am not saying that. Got that? You all understand that? I'm just saying I want people safe. I don't want people anywhere close to disaster. I don't want people causing somebody else to stumble. I want you to be able to stay on fire for God. I just, I don't want anybody within 100 miles of something that I know could hurt them or their loved ones or their family. And I don't want people blowing their witness. And so sometimes if you take all that into consideration, it's just easier to say, well, I think I'll stay away from it. But that's between you and the Lord. I love you. I can see you at a restaurant drinking wine. I'll still love you and preach to you and give to you and help you as much as if I didn't see you drinking wine. But take heed to some things that were said tonight and let the Lord talk to you about it.